It's Halloween, October 31st, 2012. Ooh. This is on the grid. First, we talk about Scott Forstall leaving Apple. Then we talk about Windows 8 and the possible ramifications. And then we wrapped it up talking about Google and some new interesting updates to composing and replying to emails. This is on the grid. Let's, Let's go. go! Dan, how you doing, buddy? Not too bad. How's it going, Andy? Not bad. Have you heard from Matt at all? I know he's in New York, and I think they had some sort of weather event. Nah, Have you talked to I him at all? I think Matt? Matt, are you there? Uh, I'm gentlemen. I'm alive. Yay! Woo! We didn't lose our mat. No, no, no. I uh, I made it through the storm. It was quite a storm, though. I have to say, I yeah. have been at home for the past three days because my office has been completely out of power. The email has been down. Our servers were taken down. Basically, every single thing below thirty seventh, I think, is what I heard, is completely knocked out. It's wow. it's unbelievable how powerful this is. It's wild how serious. Imagine a full week of New York production shut down. Yeah. It was really intense. It was it was not trivial down here in Baltimore either. We had some pretty crazy wind. We lost power. We lost internet for a little while. Uh, we didn't get anywhere near as much flooding from the storm surge because we have Delaware to block us. Pro tip, Delaware is a great shield of people and state to block you from any weather. I did see that. I think it was a chunk of Brooklyn that actually went under fire because of some sort of like gas leak or something like that. I mean, there were a lot of things similar to that. There were gas leaks. There were, well, it was water hitting transformers which was a big deal because the the reason most of the power is out right now is not because it was destroyed it was because it was shut down before the water hit it because of course if the water hits it it will create an explosion so the big deal has been pumping out the water in order to turn the power back on and there is a lot of water to pump out and that one kind of edison power plant or transformer totally super exploded you see the video of that thing I didn't. Oh, God. Actually, what's interesting is that oh. more of my friends have, have been texting me the stuff that's been going on because we were kind of hunkered down. We haven't really been going out that much. For the first couple of days, we were a little worried. And the, the next couple of days, it was more about recovering than checking out all the cool stuff that happened. <laughs> cool yeah. is not the right word, I don't think. But <laughs> a lot of the way people were texting it and sending it to me was as if it was cool. I mean, it's cool for them from a distance, but it's been a little harrowing here. I mean, I was glued mm. to Twitter. This is a perfect example of how media is really, really powerful these days. I mean, first person accounts of all this stuff happening and people that I follow on Twitter that were like trapped in their houses because there were six feet of water on their first floor. It was really riveting. I mean, it's. I can't imagine watching the news when Twitter is around. Why would you ever do that when you can get this first-person accounts? It's, it's pretty incredible. Well, I mean, if, if you actually want news, though. <laughs> Twitter was just ahead of the news and every single thing from what I hear. Was, people were saying that they were paying attention to Twitter more than the actual newscast because and I guess you know the news has to verify facts and stuff, whereas Twitter is just happening. There were people that were just lying on Twitter, though. That's the oh, thing. God. Oh, yeah. I was that one comfortably guy. smug? There were people just making shit up on Twitter. You have to be a certain kind of sociopath to do that, but it was happening. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't believe that guy that was just making up all that crap. Not just stuff that was weird and trying to get attention, but also stuff that could have been like really harmful had people taken it seriously. Some horrible, weird like trolling of an entire city that's in the middle of a natural disaster, which is the last time you should troll a person. That just bugs the shit out of me because thinking about it like real people actually died one thing that was kind of amazing about that was he was a campaign manager for a republican i want to say senator is that correct yeah god i can't wait to see that senator's press conference yeah so that's two crazy hurricanes to you know do some serious damage to the upper east coast in the past two years actually i don't know if i ever told you guys this hurricane irene actually was it was less severe in new york but my parents have a little pub in southern vermont 
Mm-hmm. And that thing was just destroyed during Irene. So to be honest, I was actually more relieved during this one because it was not going to hit, you know, Massachusetts and Vermont as much. If it takes out any of my stuff here, it's all rental property. Like I'm not not going to be affected by it. But wow, we were destroyed by Irene. Yeah. It's it's amazing. They keep having these. They keep calling them hundred year storms. But I yeah. appreciated this from Chris Christie today. He uh, he was on the news and he said, "I'm I'm just going to stop saying hundred year storms because we've had like three in the past five years." So. <laughs> we're just, we're just going to call them storms. Could be some yeah. kind of sign, maybe. The world is falling apart, everyone. We it's didn't really listen. Fa- no. We didn't listen. <laughs> Whatever your parents said, they destroyed the world for you. Enjoy. There was one Twitter account in particular. It was just Hurricane Sandy. I think it had two ends in Hurricane because the regular thing was taken. It's this joke account that accumulated, you know, like a quarter million followers over the course of the hurricane. And I was wondering uh, what you guys thought about having some sort of comedy account about a natural disaster that is currently killing people while there is a twitter account out there you know making jokes about it what are your thoughts on that the person that gives fake news is very upsetting but a person making jokes about it is never going to upset me yeah i agree actually i think that comedy is uh one of the ways we can you know deal with these sorts of things Uh, and and originally the account was very very funny and then it sort of got much worse and started repeating itself as the hurricane went on i think the person behind it Felt a lot of pressure. I always wonder who's behind these things. Like, who is that opportunist that's like, oh, man, I'm I'm making a Twitter account for this. I'm going to yeah. put so many <laughs> jokes on there. I'm never going to get mad at a person who makes jokes, like, inappropriate jokes about a situation. I feel like I'm very much that way where... Oh, so it's you. Thank you, Dan. No, but, to, I mean, to deal with difficult situations, it's much easier to me to, for me to joke about it than be upset about it. I don't begrudge people to do the same. I feel like there has been a a whole slew of people like screaming at comedians for saying an inappropriate thing recently. Like I feel like there used to be one every five years and then once a year and now it's like every couple of weeks you're like, oh we should all be really mad at Daniel Tosh or Adam Carolla or Tracy Morgan or whatever because they're they made a joke somewhere and now we're supposed to be mad about it. I don't get mad about those things. It's comedians making jokes. I'm with you on that. I was just curious if you guys, if either of you were opposed to it. No. Well, another another case of the extreme diversity on On the Grid. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's take it to the top of the fucking dock, then, right? <laughs> I thought the most interesting most interesting thing on the top of the dock was the Scott Forstall leaving yes, Apple thing. Absolutely, cannot be ignored. I think a lot of people frame this as the death of skeuomorphism. I mean, obviously not. But the most interesting thing was that Johnny Ive is going to move in to be the, I, I guess, takeover design for all things, right? Is That's that, what I was going to say. Yeah, this is less about Forstall leaving for me and more about Johnny Ive now taking over not just head of industrial design, but also UI and software design. If you know Johnny Ive, you know that his hero is Dieter Rahm. So even even though a lot of the the skeuomorphism of the iPhone is inspired by Dieter Rams. I can't wait to see I cannot wait to see his sensibilities applied to interfaces cuz you know he's not going to be, you know, sitting at Illustrator or Fireworks or whatever pulling pixels. He's just going to be, you know, the creative vision behind the whole thing. Right. So I'm really curious to see how this shifts anything and how long it takes for us to start to see the changes. Every article I've read has has mentioned that piece of it, um, which I appreciate, but I also wonder is there more at work here? Like, of course, the entire thing isn't really directed by one person. It might have that his vision might be there, but of course, everything is the way it is now, and they're not going to completely shift course, right? Yeah. Well, something <laughs> I read about the, the actual change on one of these art blogs was talking about how the shift was 
more about moving leadership roles to experience related positions as opposed to technical positions. So they used to have like somebody that was heading up iOS and somebody that was heading up, you know, Mac and someone that was heading up, you know, hardware and it was like specific columns. And mm-hmm. now it's just these three guys, uh, the head of design and the head of the other technology. stuff. I should look this up technology. And, but the article was talking about how now the people are looking across the entire scope of the product line to focus on one aspect of the product as opposed to looking right down the product line in a, in a vertical column, which seems mm-hmm. to me like a great way to, to run the company, you know, to have this sort of vision going across all the products. Because I've always felt a really strong disconnect between some different parts of Apple, uh, right. especially when it comes to design. So maybe we're, we'll close that rift now. Can they change course at this point? You know, like they have been seemingly like the champions of skeuomorphism in the design world. So... Is it appropriate for them to shift to this point and and take a new direction like that? Is, that means so much change. Well, yeah, I, I think so because if you look at the '90s, it was a completely different Apple. Granted, you know there was completely different leadership at that point, but skeuomorphism has lasted in that company for what like 12, 15 years, and they seem to have this trend of doing something really drastic every decade or so so i almost feel like maybe in a few years we'll actually see a completely different apple maybe because they feel like they have to make another jump actually i hope i hope i don't know it seems to me like apple has always been comfortable making that change and never willing to shy away from a big shift which i think is one of the biggest assets to them as a a large company Mm -hmm. so i'd I'd like to think that yeah things could shift overnight essentially under johnny ive's watchful eye we still i mean no one really has any idea where what the hell Johnny Ives' sensibilities are when it comes to interfaces. There are documented cases of him, you know, sighing at skeuomorphic things at, or at conference tables at Apple and, you know, opposing the sort of forced all attitude. But, but no one knows, you know, what he actually likes, I guess. So it'd be interesting to see how his hardware sensibilities apply to software. And I, I, I would love to see a huge shift. I mean, I know the, the iTunes release, which was supposed to be originally in October, has now got mm-hmm. pushed back to late November. And people are speculating as to whether or not that has something to do with Forrestal leaving, whether or not they're making last-minute changes under the direction of Ive. So, I mean, if we yeah, could see something as soon as, you know, next month that was clearly a new vision, I would love it. Yeah, I think someone said, I don't know if it was Apple or somebody interpreting it, but saying that there was a bigger shift that there had been a really uh, strong history in the past few years of uh, deadline sort of mentality so they would basically say like okay at this time every year we're gonna push out a new version of this thing and it's really obvious because september has been traditionally like an imac sort of month until they start to fall off from it somebody said that they're gonna stop doing deadlines and focus more on just getting it right the first time and then debuting it to the world and you know those obvious references to like siri and maps and how they're kind of half products or half finished products i got put out to the world because of a deadline i feel like i'm i'm that way like i would rather get something right than be a deadline person but i feel like that's something you can afford as an individual but can you really afford that as a corporation i mean the the it's one a slippery thing slope yeah yeah i mean the thing that's great about the Apple events is that you know they're coming every single year and you can kind of guess what you can buy for the coming season. So yeah. I don't know if you can let that go too much as, as such a large corporation. It sounds like a great well, thing to say as a person, though. I don't know how much the average consumer is aware of the product cycle and aware of what's coming out next necessarily. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I feel like we're really plugged into it. So we know oh, it's probably going to be a new iPad, blah, blah, blah. Could probably expect a Retina iPad mini like next spring or something. 
But I don't mm-hmm. know that like the most people that are buying Apple devices are actually in touch with that sort of level of granularity with the company. Well, I think people are in touch enough to know that they can get a thing before Christmas. Oh, yeah, is- definitely. There is definitely a huge amount of showmanship that has become part of the Apple brand. Yeah. The the keynotes are huge, and the fact that they happen regularly is really huge. And every time they have one, the stock you know spikes beforehand and drops right afterwards because such and such didn't have whatever. And uh, I don't know. It's it's that's definitely a big part of their company brand. And if Dan's right, and they are going to try and eschew this deadline mentality and focus more on you know building it right, then it'll be interesting to see how that changes the brand. But I mean, I mean at this what, point, it, that's what it's going to be hard to break from with how much, you know, the stock price responds to, you know, them pushing any little thing back by any amount of time to stop having these, you know, grand keynotes every six months would be, would be problematic, I think. Everything I've read has mentioned the fact that Scott Forstall wouldn't sign that apology letter for iOS oh, maps. Yeah. I don't know if there's any truth to that. I, I mean, how, how does anyone really know? But, yeah. Uh, yeah. That is a very serious example of pushing a thing for a deadline. Clearly, they needed to get the maps out for the deadline, and it's not very good. Part of me wonders about that, though. Like, I wonder if it was a matter of a deadline and they had to get it out, or a matter of them knowing, we're not going to give this any better until we have 20 million people that are using it and reporting all these bugs. And I mean, maps has improved significantly, like very significantly, every week since it's come out, at least to, to my to my note. Like, I've noticed it actually getting a lot better. Presumably because they do have all these people actually using the system. Right. Uh, so, it's. I mean, I think at some point they knew they were going to have to push that fledgling out of the nest and let people be pissed off about it in favor of getting it right. So, I'm not sure how much Maps is, is the best example of that. I think this is a very easy transition. So, we're saying Scott Forstall is the end to schemorphism. And the other end to schemorphism is uh, Windows 8 interface, right? This just yeah. came out. Everybody's been reviewing it. And I think actually it's it's incredibly interesting for digital design. It's especially interesting for a company to take such a big stance behind it and go, well, go for it to a degree. Did, what did you guys think about it? I know, Dan, you actually got to test it. Yeah. I think Andy and I have mostly done it through reading reviews and watching videos. I mean, my reaction from using it, it was just the preview. So I don't know if any, I don't think anything has drastically changed since I've used it. It was very interesting because the tiles felt very natural at least from i i guess my perspective and it just felt like a very good well decided uh facade and and things worked and they were very clean and there was no clutter i think the thing that really bugged the shit out of me was that how it was only half of the operating system that's like the first thing i was going to mention is that there's the two interfaces right there's the Uh essentially the new interface and then the old interface that's been tweaked a little bit but basically you have windows 8 and windows 7 in the same operating system correct it's it's such a sloppy connection too because the only reason that i had installed it in the first place was just to play games on steam that was it and Steam worked technically, but anytime that I wanted to use it, it would switch back over to the old OS and then have to do this whole weird transition that just didn't feel fluid at all. I mean, it was two completely different feeling operating systems in the exact same packet. Now, I haven't seen too much about the actual operating system. How is Windows 7 integrated into it? There's like, so there's, there's a new tile view. And then if you try right. to run something that doesn't fit in the tile view, it just boots you back to what they had before. Yeah. Like both are running at the same time. Oh, so here's what goodness. it is, Andy. You log in and you get the start view and that's all these live tiles, which is very interesting. And that's the kind of exciting part about Windows 8 and the, the thing that seems to be very well executed. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, of course, Microsoft being Microsoft, they can never actually cut anything off and start anew. Everything. See, that's the Achilles heel. Exactly. Yeah. It's the thing we were enjoying about Apple a second ago. They can't let anything go. So, of course, everything has to still operate. So, basically, there is a desktop view, which is accessed via a tile. So, there's a tile <laughs> that you can click that basically mm-hmm. brings you back into Windows 7. Oh. Yes. And there are things that operate in Windows 7 and things that operate in Windows 8. Windows 8 operates much like the App Store. It's a curated list of apps. And then there's Windows 7 where all your old apps can still work. So you have to operate between these two things, and the interfaces are totally different. Yeah. I have such mixed feelings on this. Like, so first of all, I'm, I'm glad that they're willing to do something totally new and radical because every other iteration of Windows, as long as I can remember, was just, you know, polishing and putting gloss and lipstick on the same pig, you know, every two and a half years. And mm-hmm. there was never any real changes or improvements. And this is totally different, which is great. I'm looking at it. I have never actually used Windows 8, but I have a, my roommate has an Xbox, which has a very similar interface, also made Windows, so probably pretty telling, with a sort of, you know, Mason Reed blocks layout where each block does a different thing. And it mm-hmm. seems like, I mean, it looks like a touch interface, which is not a bad thing. It looks like it's something you'd find on a tablet because of these big giant hit areas and the lack of, like, space for your mouse to move and do stuff, which is like what the desktop is. It's this, like, big empty space for you to do crap with your mouse, and there's none of that here. Right. So, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see them making that shift. It should have been two different operating systems. That is something that Apple would have done, is if they had to do something new and revolutionary that was a far cry from OS X, and OS X had been around long enough that they knew that they couldn't get rid of it from the start, they would have said, okay, here's the past version of OS X, and then here's the new thing. Eventually, we're going to be completely about the new thing, but we're going to give people a choice for the time being. And like the fact that Microsoft felt like they had to cram that shit together and then have three different versions of that Frankenstein. Oh, it's got awful. Yeah. I think that this gets at the fact that Microsoft's problems are deeper than just an interface, which mm-hmm. like there's so much tied up in this, in that this can look great and be beautiful and be interesting or whatever. And whether it works or not remains to be seen. I don't know if this is intuitive or makes sense for all the different content being stuck in these blocks. But if it looks great and works, awesome. But what's really more important is attracting developers to develop on your platform and providing a good development environment for them to do interesting things because they're the ones who are going to build the products that people are going to be really interesting and, you know, drawn in by. And and then, like, managing that whole community. And the fact that... So I I saw on the Daring Fireball that they had something like 4 million sales this last weekend of Windows 8, which is great. That's, that's a lot of sales. Right. Yep. But it's only like, it's less than 1% of all the people that are still running Windows. So it's really not much of the actual Windows users at all. And by contrast, the latest version of Mac had 3 million sales in the first weekend, which was less, obviously, than Windows. But it was like 5% of all the people running a Mac operating system upgraded the first weekend it was available. Right. And like having those people, the early adopters that are using your system and willing to change and evolve and adapt with you makes you much more agile as a company. And and I feel like Microsoft's feet are in the mud with this. And the mud is all these people that are still on Internet Explorer 6 and all these countries that have infrastructures built on Internet Explorer 5.5 and all this crap that they're like tied up in because they were the first big dog in the game. It's a bit of a catch-22, the way they've constructed the company. Because, of course, you want to support everyone before you, but because... You've decided you're going to support everyone before you. Everyone knows they're safe by not upgrading, so there's no incentive to do so. It's the same as the developer situation where you say, 
hey, developers are so important. But then if developers are so important, you can't release two different operating systems, one that supports these new developers and one that doesn't. That's exactly the reason that basically the Windows 7 upgrade is packaged with the Windows 8 interface. So you can say, hey, developers, you have all of these users that can use your apps. They also have Windows 7 and all the Surface users. Instead of saying the Surface users have Windows 8 and all the desktop users have Windows 7. So I can understand why it's difficult to, to cut from that, but at some point yeah. you just got to cut ties, I think. And a, a big issue with that too is that Microsoft for a very long time was just specifically software and had just very recently become uh, also a hardware company with the Surface. And I think that is a really crucial aspect of this. Because well, that's not exactly true. I mean, they started out as a software and hardware company no, they, and they got nailed done, with they've a big They've done mice lawsuit. and keyboards and all that stuff. They just didn't do the computers exactly. Well, you know. yeah, 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 and that's my point is that when you look at Apple, it's, uh, they, they build every single piece of the experience. I don't know. I just like, I feel like because there is such a strong connection between hardware and software and like when there was the new Intel jump and, and things like that, Apple always had a solution for the big jump and they explicitly said like, here's a cutoff point. It's not going to happen for a long time. But at that point, people who have older computers are going to want to upgrade anyways. Like, I don't feel like there was that much thought put into many of the recent releases of Windows. It is interesting to see the way that Windows is dealing with hardware because they don't have that full control. They have this; they're in this weird in-between world between desktop and touchscreen. And the way that Windows 8 is so geared toward the touchscreen, you end up with these laptops that have touchscreens and get you in these like weird, uh, whatever the opposite of ergonomics is, where you're trying to like half type <laughs> on your tunnel. keyboard. That's yeah, you, <laughs> you you have an interface. And you have a laptop that is a touchscreen, and the interface is best used via a touchscreen. So you're touching your laptop, but then there are other parts where you can type on your keyboard, and that's maybe the most appropriate way of doing things. So it's this weird thing of like, should I be using my mouse at the moment? Should I be using my screen at the moment? Should I be using my keyboard at the moment? Should I don't know. There might be some other I – I haven't seen the if they have touch pads or anything, but that could be a thing too. It's this – it's confusion of what am I doing with this thing? That comes back, I think, to the core, one of the principles that Windows seems to be built on, which is this principle of like designing for the masses and sort of trying to appease everyone, wherein mm-hmm. they're like, hey, some people really want to type this with a keyboard and we think that touching it is better and this other interaction over here, people want to touch, we think tapping is better. And instead of, you know, sticking their stake in the ground and saying this is what it's going to be, everyone work to this ideal, they try and, you know, accommodate for everything. And, oh, some people have iPads, but wish they had keyboards. Let's make an iPad with a keyboard. And they're kind of just trying to keep everybody happy. And when you do that sort of design, I think history has proven that you end up with a mediocre product that nobody really loves and some people just have to tolerate. I do want to mention the positives of, like, I do think the interface of Windows 8 is very interesting and and well done. It's just that it's being... I, I and I've used I mean I've used Windows Phone previously and that actually is really great, but it's the it's the attacking shit onto it that's really hurting it. I mean we talked about it so much in the dig- digital authenticity the episode we just put out, but it's when you add those extra elements that you hurt other pieces of your design so much. And this is exactly it. It's like we're so close, but we're just not there. Here's my question to you guys. So. This inter- I don't think I'm biased in saying that this interface has a lot more flavor than Mac. You know, there's an 
imposed structure, there's an imposed hierarchy, there's these really bright popping colors that I assume you can't change too much. It looks like that's sort of the color palette of Windows oh, no, at you, this point. You can. You can. It's, it's all that's customizable. Yep. But so I mean, but it's there's still this very much implied structure and hierarchy, and it seems like it's trying to be something, whereas I always felt that Mac was like a shell for whatever it was you were actually doing. Do, yeah. do, do you think that's accurate? And what do you think the pros and cons are of being agnostic versus high flavor? I think that is actually, I, I like that approach because it's taking a stance and it's trying to create an interface that everyone can understand. And I think that is a very key element for an operating system, right? There, There's many other interfaces where that's not important. But of course, if you're an operating system, if you can get everything functioning the same way, that is important. Um, it's it's maybe even more important than like brands trying to implement their standards or something. Actually, I'll, I'll just say it. yes, it's more important than that. So I appreciate that, but it's just the fact that it hasn't gone far enough that's the problem. What do you think, Dan? I think the way that it was executed is backwards of the intentions. When you look at iOS, everything is extremely structured. Designing for it is extremely structured because anything that's not standard to iOS is usually quite a bit more code. Uh, it takes more finessing. There's there's more variables for something to fail. And I feel like that is what has happened with Windows 8, at least with the, the Metro interface or whatever the hell they're calling it now, that they're going to become very strict. Everything was very rigid. Everything had a very clear protocol on how you design for this uh, new aesthetic, where Windows 7 and, and OS X are a bit more fluid. They let developers do as they need. You know, there's a lot of wiggle room. Windows 8 could actually work very well for a consumer. I, I don't think it's going to work well for professionals uh, or much anyone else that needs to do a lot of stuff with that computer. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I don't think that developing for Mac it has a lot of wiggle room and the sort of freedom that you're alluding to. I mean, the strict standards of the Mac the back app store have pushed a lot of developers away from it. Yeah. Let me clarify that. Like, I guess pre app store that you didn't have to go through the, the whole app store process to be able to get something out to people. Yeah. And so I think that you've made a good, we struck on something important, which is that this is very close theoretically to a mobile interface or a tablet interface where you're hiding the computer, you're hiding the directory system. I know we've talked in the past about the pros and cons of folders and directories for organization. And it seems to me from looking at all these screenshots and videos that all of that is obscured and it's a real focus on like what it is you're trying to do, which Mm -hmm. is great in, in theory. Like philosophically, I love that. I guess the problem for me is that I trust Apple to a degree to like allow me to behave that way with iOS and go through and do what I have to do and not mess anything up. Whereas I, mm-hmm. I don't trust Windows or Windows 8 to work the way it's supposed to. And I feel like that, oh. obs- that obscurity is going to be a, a hurdle that more so than a, like something that's increasing the be- benefiting the interaction. That's an interesting challenge, though, because how would you trust them all of a sudden? You know, like what, what oh, would they course, have yeah, to do no, to it's, earn it's your definitely... trust first before they put out the next system? Well, so I think the thing is, I still feel like for desktop computers, like this is a really smart evolution for like Dan said, a big chunk of the population for the people that are just like, I need my computer to email my kids and occasionally look at a YouTube and Mm -hmm. maybe write a Word document to the Neighborhood Association. Like, those people are going to love this shit. But Mm -hmm. people that are using computers every day for their jobs and are really intensely involved in 
you know, working with them, which is a growing chunk of the population, I still feel like desktop computers and laptops and their, their respective operating systems need to have a level of flexibility. Whereas this kind of stuff you can get away with on mobile because no one's going to be, you know, making their living on a mobile device. But I feel like this is a weird, I guess you can pop right back to Windows 7, which is the like get serious mode. But, <laughs> That's but like, what they should have called it. <laughs> serious mode. Get serious. <laughs> okay, well, I, I just think that this idea of making it, making the interface obscured and very much about what you're trying to accomplish as opposed to sort of giving you control of, you know, directories and your files and stuff is not going to be beneficial to people that are using their computer every day to, like, make their living. The idea of screen real estate is maybe the other failing of Windows 8 is that it seems to ignore screen real estate to kind of move towards the trends of mobile design. Mm -hmm. Like, one of the major benefits, of course, of using a desktop is your screen is larger, you can do more things on it. And one of the failings, it seems, of Windows 8 is that at least in the in the Metro or, or Windows 8 UI style interface is that you can only do one thing at a time or two things at a time in a kind of disabled way if you're used to mm-hmm. Windows, not not mm-hmm. Windows, the operating system, but the idea of Windows in a in a, an operating system. Yeah. And I'm interested to see how that that works moving forward, because, of course, if you can only do one thing at a time. It's very nice design-wise, but it's very difficult uh, experience-wise, which is another thing that maybe we shouldn't separate, and that's a – I feel like an asshole even saying that. Design versus experience. Well, I mean the problem is we're looking at you know stills and videos of this interface, which makes us want to talk about it as design when really it's an experience. Of course. And we won't have any real credible feedback until we've actually used it and honestly live with it for a while, which I don't plan on doing. So I will never be a person that can really – truly give an honest critique of windows eight but my suspicions are as i stated and my concerns are that this obfuscation of the actual computer uh, works on mobile works on tablets but might not work on an actual computer or desktop the reason i'm bringing it up is because i think the trends of mobile being carried to desktops is great to a degree but the the reason it is is maybe unfortunate sometimes is because we forget about the fact that Complexity can be a bit uh, is is maybe okay sometimes on the desktop because we have to do more complex things there and we can't fully yeah. turn everything into these simplified touchscreen interfaces. And I know we've struggled with complexity versus simplicity before, but this is a really serious case of that. Yeah, and the more mm-hmm. I think about it, like looking at the top of the Windows 8 page on Microsoft's website, it's got a tablet, a laptop, and a desktop all with like the exact same thing on the screen, which is trying to get across the fact that it's the same operating system across all these devices, which mm-hmm. doesn't make any sense. They're different devices used in different contexts. Right, like right. why does this have to be the same? There's something to be said about consistency, but there also has to be something about scalability. Like their website is responsive. It's funny that their operating system is not. Didn't last week, <laughs> didn't we talk about the new Microsoft.com? Burn. Yeah. It's responsive. God. Burn. No, no, that's quote of the entire episode. Wipe the salt, Microsoft. If you're interested in supporting the On The Grid podcast, we have an interesting sponsorship model available. You can email us with your website, mobile application, maybe a logo or a poster, some sort of design work, and we will critique it on air, which provides twofold value for you. One, you get some critical feedback on your thing to make it better. 
and two, you get some ears that get to hear about your product. And we're going to try to be as honest as possible. And hopefully it's a work in progress so we have something to actually discuss. Yeah, and we just give it an honest critique to say, this is what our thoughts are. Maybe this could help you out. You can email us at mail at onthegrid.co. You can also give us a call if you want to provide a short little description and some context. Our number is 973-ON-GRID-2, which is 973-664-7432. And if you mail us, we'll send you rates and we'll tell you what we need from you. An image, just a little bit of context so we know what we're talking about. Uh, so the other thing is, this reminded me of, did you guys see that RealMac came out with a desktop version of their popular iPhone app, Clear? Yeah, did yes. did you care though? I mean, it, it seems no, like No, so I, I mean I didn't care, but I don't actually I mean I bought Clear because I wanted to see what it was like, but for me the actual app has always felt gimmicky and before you call or email and tell me how much you love it and it's great. I understand it's good for some people. I can never get the interactions and the gestures into my like brain so that it's natural for me. It's always a like guess and check of what actually is going to do what. It's one of those mm-hmm. apps that like will win design awards, but I don't really want to use. It's no, exactly. beautiful. Like, it's an art piece, but it's not. And it's a really interesting yeah. experiment in a purely gestural interface. Like forget mm-hmm. buttons, forget tap areas. This is all just gestures, which that experiment is extremely valuable as an experiment. And But the fact that it's now being taken to a desktop, I think is right in line with this conversation of that experience was so specifically designed and tailored for mobile and for the gestures available on a you know, mobile device. Yeah. And now it's been mm-hmm. like shoehorned into a desktop model because he happened to sell a billion of them. People are actually using it as their daily to-do list, even though there are already really excellent to-do list tools that sync across multiple devices. And so, I, I mean, I am not, I don't care at all about the desktop version of clear because I don't think it's going to make any sense on a desktop. And I kind of feel the same way about windows eight from looking at it. Yeah. No, hmm. I think it's the same thing. Like the, uh, the desktop version of a to-do list for me is a, uh, plain text editor you know like mm-hmm. all i need is a thing that i can write a list in and it, actually there's a i don't know if you guys have task paper or a folding text or one of those but like all i need is a thing that can let me make a list and hit a button and cross it off it's like this mm-hmm. the simplest text editor leave it at that yeah and there are things on the web um, that can do that on a website that you can open up from any device and still type yeah. it in so i, I don't know it, it's it was interesting to me to see them try and bring clear to the desktop and you know I, I best of luck to them i hope it works out but it seems like it's a really weird fit i it's it's an opportunity to make money but bad idea <laughs> that was the other thing that i thought was funny <laughs> is that you know the, the clear app is 199 and the desktop app i think is 15 dollars, 1499 yeah, which is just which is just a good example of this disparity between desktop software and mobile software when in actuality it probably took just as much time to develop both of them and it's actually probably better suited to mobile just the fact oh, that yeah. people won't pay for a mobile app and people will probably will pay for a desktop app. It's uh, purely really precedent, telling. but in fact, I'm sure the mobile one will work better because it was designed for that and mm-hmm. the desktop one will be kind of dysfunctional, but, you know, there's a precedent for paying more for a desktop app. Oh, so I, I have a good way to sort of tie a bow on this Windows Mac conversation. What would it take for one of you to, to switch over to Windows? Like, what would be the thing that will push you over the edge? It's so difficult because I'm so tied into the ecosystem Mm-hmm. Yeah. If if a person were to supply me with a free version of every single one of like a phone, a tablet, a computer, an office computer, um, and they were to work better, and then maybe they gave me free versions of all the software that I already bought, <laughs> then I would consider it. <laughs> okay, I know it's so, so difficult, right? Like, well, yeah, like, I feel I, bad I, I for don't... the person trying to solve that problem because 
imagine how much we've all invested in these platforms mm-hmm. and yeah. there is no way in hell i'm and then also oh, also rebuy my itunes library like any media that is specific well, to iTunes my platform is available on on windows you can still get your itunes library yeah, but I'm sure it's bad, right? Like I'm sure the iTunes, like so, I'm sure the iTunes app for truth. Windows 8 is terrible. So to get it into the the Windows Music app is probably very difficult, right? I, I, that's the thing is I don't like being stuck in something. I hate to think that the reason I'm using Mac products is because that's what I've always used, and it's hard to switch. So you know, I, I try to be cognizant of what else is out there, but nothing I've seen from Windows has ever, you know, even maybe want to try it out like even if you gave me a free trial of it i don't think i'd be able to find the time in my day to like sit down and try and learn it and give a crap about it i don't know like i i'll definitely if i had a chance to poke around the windows 8 interface i would i would love to just to see what these tiles sort of feel like but my overall feelings of it it's just really high flavor it's imposing a lot of visual aesthetics and hierarchy and structure on the content and, and i worry that carrying the same experience over from tablets to laptops to desktops just doesn't make sense no i think if they can make the cut if they can move forward with this, it could be great, but you have to move forward. If Windows made a computer that also like had a donut maker in it or something, like it gave me donuts, then I would maybe think about switching to Windows. I would buy three. Google? <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought you were going to segue to Google, but whatever you're going to say. No, no, we can segue to Google. No, what, what the were fuck you going to say? Gonna... Say where you're going to say, goddammit. <laughs> hey, fuck you, pal. You know what? This podcast is over. Look, I've been inside for like three days. I'm, I'm out. I'm, <laughs> There's I'm a fucking it. cat. There's a cat who's grumpy at me. Cats are grumpy at everything. That's no, their whole no, thing. Not. This no, cat is not. especially grumpy. Cats are grumpy because he has diabetes all the time until they want <laughs> you to give them diabetes. food. Then they pretend to be nice until you give them food. Then they go right back to being a shitty grumpy roommate. Yeah, that's what I am too. That's why I relate. And you know what, cat people? <laughs> go ahead, email me, tweet at me, bring it. I'm not uh-huh. even cat. I'm a dog person, but uh, you're right about that, and that's the reason I relate to this cat. <laughs> <laughs> I see a bit of myself in his grumpy furry <laughs> exterior. <laughs> Oh yeah, so Google had changed the both the key, the compose and the reply experience in Gmail this week, making it a little bit more like instant messengers or other messengers uh, rather than the big bulky email clients that we're so accustomed to. The reason I like that was because it's starting to work more like email applications that are a little bit more functional. The 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 part that the blog post mentioned was that you can be drafting an email and write a new email. Which is a thing we've been able to do from our desktop clients forever. And it's mm-hmm. nice to see the web clients finally catch up. And I would I'm a huge fan of web clients taking over everything. So I'm I'm gonna be happy to see a web client be able to take over my desktop top client so I have to, I don't have to stop running so much shit on my desktop. I don't know. I it definitely looked a lot nicer, but I felt like a lot of the positive feedback from it was kind of just aesthetic people thought it looked really great and so they assumed it worked really great i have a few issues with it though it seems to it makes everything look simpler when in actuality it's not any simpler like i love the idea of moving email over and making it more conversational and you know trying to take back that medium because email is a really wonderful medium that has sort of been super abused over the years and ruined for people but Mm -hmm. it's a really wonderful way to connect with people and super intimate and personal and powerful 
but it's the same old email. They just kind of hid some things and made it so you can't really clearly see who's in you know the two and the BCC and the CC immediately because maybe that's not important. Um, I'm sure I'll get used to it, but my first reaction was just that, oh, this is not actually any simpler. They just made it look simpler. No, that's yeah. fair. I mean, hiding all that information is actually maybe less useful, but... The, they did add functionality, so I don't want to take away from that. Oh, and yeah. I, I mean, the fact that, that you can see something in a new email and also be looking at an old email at the same time is huge. I'm a right. big fan of that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was overall good, definitely. Um, it's all, I mean, more than that, I, I'm always happy to see Google continue to develop their products because if they didn't touch Gmail for four years, they'd probably still have just as many users. <laughs> right. Yeah. such an incredible monopoly on the free email that doesn't blow market, so... Yeah, I mean, do you guys ever, or how often do you guys write emails that are less conversational, like with a friend or a family member, and something that's a more uh, business-oriented, something that has to be more formal? Wait, what do you mean by that? Well, I guess the thing that makes me a little bit nervous about it is that because it comes off more like an instant messenger, uh, that's kind of like, you know, it comes up from the either side or, or the corner of the screen, it just feels more casual. Yeah, no, it's I know you're right about that. It is interesting yeah. because there is a certain way of looking at it. Like the the way, where it comes from on the screen makes you deal with it in a different way. So you might you your your language might be more informal because it's on the bottom right of the screen. Oh, absolutely. The way you deal with the chat. I, I think yeah. that's a yeah. huge tonal shift, and like it makes total sense for like email my mom to tell her when I'm coming home for Thanksgiving. Like it's perfect to put it down there. I'll type my little message, hit send. But it's mm-hmm. gonna be it's gonna feel weird to like compose you know a big formal product announcement. It's going out to a bunch of media outlets or to write you know an email to write a proposal email to a client like to do important stuff in the smaller box where you can't necessarily see without hovering over it who's in the two field and who's in the carbon copy field. It's gonna be weird to do a formal email that you like have spent time laboring over. Which I mean I think we all do from time to time. We labor over an email and make it real right. nice and full content. That's going to be a bit weird, but I think most emails are probably more on the formal side of the spectrum than the, or the informal side of the spectrum than this formal, well-crafted communication side of the spectrum. So overall, it's a nice shift. Um, I think there's the illusion that they made things simpler, which is not the case. They just made it look simpler, which, you know, take it for what it is. been on the grid episode 17 you can email the show mail at on the call us 973 on grid 2 tweet to hashtag on the grid if you want to submit a link for us to talk about on the show on the if you enjoy the show please review it on itunes thanks to girlfriends for the music thanks to you for listening until next week <laughs>